Hi, this is Glenn Hughes, and I'm currently on tour, and I am in Chicago at the moment. And please listen to the Deep Purple podcast. You're listening to the Deep Purple podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 254, Glenn Hughes, from now on, part one. And coming to you from the suburbs of Chicago, where our chipsets are set, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John, the pilot, Matola. Ooh, are you, have you taken up flying? No, that's my, it's my fact for the, fact for the week. Hey, did you, did you do one last week or did you forget? No, I, I didn't forget. I, I put in a clause there is that I would try and do it every week, except if I had something good. And I think last week I had something, I had something good. I had something else today, but I mean, I'm just like, I don't want to be like, yeah, I'm going to do one every week. And then two weeks in a row, I don't do it. <laughs> but he's like, all right, that friggin' liar. Yeah, because that's what I was thinking about. I was like, wait a second, I forgot about that. He didn't do anything about states. So what's what's the no. pilot uh, about for Alaska? Alaska has the highest number of pilots per capita in the U.S. Oh, that's right, because there's a lot, a lot of parts of Alaska where you can't, um, you can't get from one part to the other. You have to fly. Yes, yes. And uh, have, have you ever you ever watched Northern Exposure? No. Great show, but yeah, one of the one of the characters is a pilot, and she she flies them around on this little like you know one of those little uh, what do you call them? those little little tiny planes? That, yeah, a little. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I don't I don't care for that. <laughs> I've never been in a plane. I've ever been in like one of those little what do you call? I don't like. Oh God, no! Like a fucking puddle jumper? No thanks. Yeah, puddle. Yeah, that's a puddle hopper or puddle jump. Yeah, no. Like, <laughs> No, no, no. I, I want to be I want to be on a plane, boat or any other structure that's so huge that I don't understand what's happening while I'm traveling. <laughs> you can't you have no visible evidence that you're actually not in just like a building or something. Yeah, exactly. It's just like even when there's turbulence in a plane, a uh, huge plane, I'm just like, ah. <laughs> exactly. which is, you know, uh, an understandable reaction for anybody that, you know, um, doesn't like flying would have, I, I don't hate flying, but I, I do get, um, I don't get motion sick in, um, um, in planes, but on a, like a, I'm like a boat. Like have you ever been on a boat, like not a bit, like not a cruise ship. I mean like a boat where it's going like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's doing this shit. Like, uh, yeah, not, no, yeah, I get very motion sick. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't really get me motion sick, but I, I do not like flying. And I definitely like any little noise or whatever. Like I could be in a bus that was like falling off of a bridge and I'd be like, whatever. But I'm in a plane and like there's just this one little like boom. And I'm like, what was that? <laughs> what was that? Did you hear that? Like nobody else on the plane. Like- and I look around, nobody else, like everyone else is snoring or whatever. Like nobody has any care in the world. And I can't, I, I'm, oh man, I get really nervous. I thought it was because you were traumatized because you like spill hot liquid all over people whenever you go flying. I think that's more that woman now. She's she can't get in a plane. <laughs> Maybe now. she's traumatized. <laughs> she buys the seat next to her now and just keeps it empty. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we like that lady. She buys two seats. <laughs> 
Oh boy, folks. Well, thank you for joining us once again this week. The show about Deep Purple, where uh, two old friends get together and, and chat about our history with Deep Purple or lack of history with Deep Purple, discover new things. Um, if you're new to the show, hey, you know, use that fast forward button. Get through the banter if you don't like it. Just and just get to right to the <laughs> John's rolling his eyes. <laughs> Why did you get did you get more feedback that somebody no, no, doesn't I like didn't. the banter? It's the only <laughs> feedback I ever get though, but I haven't gotten any in a while. But it's like ah, they're not, you know, it's, I'm 37 seconds into the show and they didn't talk about Deep Purple yet. And I, you, I think it's mostly people have just never heard a podcast before because that's kind of <laughs> what podcasts do. But if you're watching on YouTube, you're just like, why didn't they just like have all these like Deep Purple? Do you want to know the greatest moments in Deep Purple history? Check us out. Like and subscribe. You know they're used to all that, like Flash. Mm, and uh, yeah. yeah, you're gonna be. Uh, we're yeah, not. YouTube. We're not. We're not YouTubers. We just happen to be on YouTube. So if you're yeah, on YouTube, we're like like the actual Deep Purple. We're not uh, very flashy. <laughs> yeah, they're not on YouTube either. Um, yeah, not that they know. But of. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, that's fine. I mean, I, I get it. There are some times where I'll think about that. Like we'll be. Like if I if I listen back to an episode where if I'm just like, oh, I remember this is a particularly fun one. Let me listen to a little bit. There'll be like times where like 20, 25 minutes in and I'm at or I'll like, look, I'll just be like, I wonder how far in we are, because we haven't even like <laughs> talked about the topic yet. And I'm like, oh, boy, I bet some people are going to be pissed now. It's been like half an hour. Yeah, they say <laughs> this show is about deep purple, but I am suspicious. But we're talking about, you know, the weather and car problems and your kids and whatever else. <laughs> That's right. Dogs. But dogs. Hey, if you want to support our show, you can do so a number of ways. One is by leaving us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Haven't had one in a while. Kind of stalled out at 100 there. So um, if you want to be number 101, uh, please write us a review. Helps new people discover the show. So I'm told you can buy some merch at our Etsy store, which I continually threaten to shut down, but still haven't done yet. You can also become a patron on Patreon <laughs> or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month. Help support the show. Um, helps us uh, get items for the show. And hey, upstairs, whirring away, is our brand new studio PC. All assembled, put together. Um, spent about four hours on the phone with tech support between Microsoft and Amazon. Um, did I tell you about this? No. So, so building the new studio computer, it's very... it's looks great it's going to be really it's really running nice but so i put my uh i have a copy of windows 10 that i bought years ago i go install it and everything's going good i go to activate it it's like you can't activate this uh this isn't a valid act a valid code and i was like okay so i contact microsoft hey what's uh why is it the uh why does it say it's not a valid code? They, they're like, oh, can you give us the, the code? So I'm reading the code from the friggin' retail box of this Windows 10 there. And like, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a pirated code. I was like, well, it's your, it's a Microsoft box that I bought from, a, you know, from Amazon. That's Windows and it's your stuff. It's all, I got the, the little USB key. It comes with all this stuff. And like, like, yeah, well, somebody must've used the code to generate like your, and figured out your, um, your code so uh we can't uh so so yeah you can't activate it and i'm like but do you see where i'm what i'm saying here <laughs> like <laughs> this is like it's not my problem that somebody figured out my code like i bought i bought this code like you're gonna have to contact the place you bought it from i'm like it was amazon it was like five years ago like what do you <laughs> like what do you want me to do They're like oh yeah just contact them i'm like how are they gonna be able to help me better than you this is your product like yeah. you know so I, I amazon they must transfer me to like 12 different people and like, and they'd be like, 
I tell them what the problem is. They're like, oh, let me transfer you to the team that will best help you with this. Wait five minutes. Oh, hey, I'm so-and-so here to help you. Tell them what the problem is. Oh, you know what? Let me trade you to the team that's best going to help you with this. Literally like five times in a row. By the fifth time, I was like, listen, like, <laughs> please don't tell me you're going to transfer me to the team. Oh, no, no. No, I, I assure you we're going to help you. We're going to solve this. And then after like 10 minutes, let me transfer you to the team that's best going to help. It was. Oh, God. It was like three hours, I think, just with just with Amazon. It was so annoying. Still haven't figured it out. So I just bought a new. <laughs> copy of Windows 11 and I'm like I'm going to start that out on the back end and hopefully they can do something for me but um, yeah I'm that's what you got in touch with like Amazon I don't even know how you're supposed to call them up yeah they keep that real secret <laughs> you have to, if you just like Google you, you can't find it on their website you have to like Google like how the hell do I find the Amazon number and then they'll tell you it's I very mean, hidden usually what happens is, is like if I ever have a problem it's just like you know you you know, you just go tap, 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 and then they just like, eh, here, here's a code to return it, or oh, yeah, fuck yeah. it, keep it. <laughs> That's yeah. about it. That's easy, you know, unless you bought it five years ago, <laughs> in which case nobody knows what to do. I, and I, yes, that, yeah, exactly. And I honestly, I can't blame them. Why, why should it be their problem? They didn't do anything wrong. They sold me a legitimate thing that doesn't work, and it's not their, it's not their thing. It's No, I, I agree with you. It's just like if somebody, like, if they oh, somebody figured out like to, how to break into your house that's your problem it's like no <laughs> it's like it's your problem because you're the one that sold me the the you know the the faulty lock or something like that you're you know somebody figured out the the code that your company made so you you know give me what I paid for. I see what you're saying about the key. It's like you paid for the key. Maybe somebody else figured it out, but oh, well, so it's, it's still yours. You're the one that purchased it. So give me it. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Or just generate a new key for me. It's like, I'm, I'm showing you that I have the legitimate thing, you know, it's, but anyway, yeah. enough of that. So yeah, the, 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 I lost about a day on getting the computer set up. Uh, with that one, unfortunately, but it's coming along pretty good. I think probably not by next episode, but maybe the episode after that will be on the new computer, which will be pretty cool. And will and will be no noticeable difference to our listeners, probably. Um, but, um, you know, speaking of people that help support our show and donate, we do have some people to thank and um, starting off with our executive level patrons. Oh, you know what? I don't even have this window open now. Uh, starting off with our like, executive level patrons at the In Memoriam tier, the wonderful late Gerald Jerry Kelly. Um, really appreciate him and his family for their support over the years. Um, we have at the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis Nakfi and Purple Maniac. At the 15 Squid tier, we have Alan... And at the $10 Good Doctor tier, we have Dr. Mike Catan. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, we have Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgard, Mortensen, Mickelstein, Will Porter, PHDPP, and Michael Bagford. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, Better Call Saul Evans, and Peter from Illinois. And at the Husaween by 2033 tier, we have Fielding Fowler. I was going to, I'll hopefully have something for the next episode for that. Cause I had a pretty, I had a good idea that would tie in with these episodes, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. But then I didn't do it cause it's been too much shit to do lately. <laughs> 
quite frankly. So, um, as promised, uh, we last Saturday, almost a week ago, I went to go see Glenn Hughes at the Arcata Theater in scenic St. Charles, Illinois, the picker capital of the world. Um, and yeah, it was incredible. So I, I met up with Glenn before the, the folks from the show, which was pretty cool. So I, I got there and, you know, I'm just like, I, I don't know, I always feel kind of like, like kind of a jerk because Glenn was like, I'll put your name on my list. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> so I went there and I'm like, I'm on the list. <laughs> and they're like, what's your name? And they find the name like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, and it was just like there was like a lot of layers like, oh, so and so will be here to to. to to bring you down and but everyone's very like they don't know like is this like okay like everyone's you know which mm. is good they're protecting the artist right they don't want to just bring in some schmuck who's gonna they're gonna be like why the hell did you bring that guy back here <laughs> um so the, the the place that the venue is is like an old it's i guess it was one of al capone's old um i don't know if you'd say like offices or hideouts or whatever it was but apparently mm-hmm. the green room is is al capone's all brothel <laughs> so so they brought nice. me downstairs and i'm standing in this little alcove with this woman that works there and this other guy who i have no idea who he is and um she she was really really nice and she was telling me about the history of the building that's what she told me oh yeah that room there is she's like i don't know if you're gonna go in there or if he's gonna come out or whatever but that's al capone's brothel it used to be his brothel I was like, oh wow um so yeah after a few minutes they're like okay you come on in glenn's here and then they took me into this room and it was just like very brightly like neon green painted room like very bright colors mm. and they're like glenn is uh ready to see you so i go there and he's just sitting in a chair and they say hello and oh hey nate how you doing like we're old friends and i'm like oh wow um, and it was just him it was just him just him and me in a room and it was just like wow, wow. Uh, but, but he didn't have a ton of time because he was doing a meet and greet and all that sort of stuff so we were maybe 15 20 minutes uh but just chatted That's- about That's, stuff. Um, 15, 20 minutes is a good chunk of time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was great because I was like, wow. Like, you know, because I, I had come prepared to do an interview if you wanted to do it. But I was like, well, 15, 20 minutes is going to cut it for an interview. So let's just chat. Um, and he just told me about a bunch of stuff about what's coming up with him. And, you know, a lot of stuff where he was like, well, I could tell you off the air, but he was like, uh, you know, you can't tell anybody this. But, you know, kind of like you did with us. Don't tell anybody yeah. this. But then I was like, and he's going to get on stage on and stage. just <laughs> and say, <laughs> at all but he didn't so i was like okay i won't tell anybody <laughs> except maybe john um yeah but uh yeah just telling stuff about what's coming up with him what he's working on the black country communion album that's coming out and um uh yeah just it was really really cool and then i you know i got him to you know record something for the show i got him to record something for you because it was your birthday that um, was awesome yeah sent you a video from glenn <laughs> that that was that was very awesome and i appreciate that but it was cool. It was it was kind of like it reminded me of like kind of visiting with like uh, like visiting with a, like a relative. Like you go you go and you're just like we're both sitting in a room. It's like oh hey hey what's up yeah <laughs> like you're sitting in that chair I'm sitting in this chair. It's like okay cool you know and um, he signed a few things for me and uh, we just uh, talked. It was great and he, and you know he was talking a lot too. He's like about touring and about how you know it's like oh you know touring touring after fifty is you know it, you know it can take it it can you know, it can really take a lot out of you. I'm like, well, geez, you're 72. Like, that's, I mean, you see him on stage. It's like, he's not acting like this nope. is taking anything out of him. It's just, yeah. I don't know how he, but he, the thing that really struck me is just, he was so like calm and serene back. So he was just sitting there and he's like, you know, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm just going to go do an absolutely killer rock and roll show. And, in, in <laughs> you know, in an hour or whatever, the finish, <laughs> the opening acts are up. And, um, 
he just could not have been more like calm and you know just at, at peace with himself and with everything around. It was it was really cool. It was it was a special moment. It was pretty cool to to have those moments with now two you know even though you know, we saw him before too, but with two bass players of, of Deep Purple now. Yeah, just gonna fly out and uh, hang out with Nikki once, and we'll we'll have it all covered. Yeah, the trifecta. <laughs> But yeah, then after that, um, went across the street, there was this really cool Mexican place and uh, uh, Dr. Mike Catan was there, uh, which I learned it's Catan, not Catan, because um, I, I heard him give his name to the to the waitress for the reservation. I was like, I've been pronouncing your name wrong all this time. He's like, ah, I'm used to it. I don't even care. <laughs> um, all right. Well, but. But super nice guy. Um, and then, you know, Peter and Ryan were there who we we both met before and they were super, super nice. Although, you know, we met Peter really briefly in the lobby of the at the mm-hmm. was in St. Petersburg. Um, yeah. So it was good to really hang out with him for a more extended time. He used to live right in the area. So he was very familiar with the theater. Um and uh, Ryan had, had been there a bunch of times too. So it was really cool. We hung out. We had some good Mexican food. We went across and uh, Ryan knew. uh Chips Enough was in the line and Ryan kind of knew him from the bands he plays with. Um, so he uh, he went, he's like, hey, Chip. And he's like, hey, what's going on, man? And they were just, he gave him like one of those little like shoulder bumps. Like, hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> and they were just chatting. And it was funny, actually, because Ryan has a band um, and we were at dinner and this guy came over and was like, goes up to Ryan. He's like, hey, are you the guitar player in Killiam? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I swear to God, I didn't set that up. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, wow, man, this guy's getting recognized. Good for Ryan M. Uh, um, but yeah, it was a good time. We had really cool seats, like up on the, the opera box, sort of. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, really good view. Just just kind of looking down on the show and just, yeah, amazing. Um, no, great, great, great show. They, they uh, I put a couple videos up on our YouTube channel, but they were just an amazing show. And uh, lots of young people there, too. Like I was looking down and like, you know, the place was pretty full. It wasn't sold out, but it was pretty full. And there was, you know, there was those kids, you know, with the, the hair that looks like bananas, like a bunch of bananas. <laughs> oh, that's the first time I've heard it described that way, but so accurate. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. It's all swoopy yeah, that, and curves out. Yeah, like there that, were kids yeah, like there with that. that they the hairdo. Yeah. Yeah. They must've been 15, 16. I'm like, wow. I mean, clearly they were there with their parents or whatever, but they, you know, they were rocking out at a rock show. So good for them. Well, um, I mean, we saw that at the, the one we went to in Worcester. I mean, like that whole couple yeah. of rows in front of us was like really young guys. Like, yeah. Like that guy that was like, so into Ingve, he was like, ah! was, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> he was like fucking, he was young and, whipping his head around well you know i think that's good i mean just like now that we're now that we're the elder statesmen of rock here you know it's um <laughs> yeah i know right now we're the old guys at the show cool cool to see uh guys um more than half our age um discovering and listening to this music and thinking it's awesome so now it's like i kind of know how you know people you know in their 40s and 50s felt when we were teenagers and discovering stuff that were from when they were teenagers so it's yeah, yeah. it is it's a it's a cool feeling because you don't feel like you're alone. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, this is dinosaur music or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was cool. And backstage got to meet the um, the drummer, Ashian, who is really cool. He's he was very, you know, he's a, gr- a great showman. Um, but uh, 
backstage, he was like, so I told him that, you know, I like, cause, um, Steve Hunt, one of the folks that listens to our show and we communicate with a lot. He had, he's like, don't go to the bathroom during the drum solo. Cause it's incredible. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I won't. Cause, cause we, we had seen the drum solo in Worcester, but, um, yeah, he just put yeah. on an amazing, amazing drum solo and, the, and, and his guitar player Soren came back while we was there and got to shake his hand and meet him real quick. And he, him and Glenn were just talking. He's like, all we do is talk about shoes. He's like, oh, I love those shoes you're wearing. And he's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> and they were just, he was wearing like these Converse. <laughs> uh, um, awesome. So yeah, they were. Uh, I was like, I don't know how Glenn wears those like Converse. I can't even wear those like with the. They've got like no arch support, but um. yeah. Well, hey, you know it's <laughs> Glenn it's, it's is, all about comfort. At least he's not wearing those big like orthopedic Frankenstein shoes at his age, like fucking Gene Simmons. <laughs> You ever see that? It's just like you see you you see guys like his age, right? And it's it's like they look their age. Yeah. But yeah. I think one of the defining things. Well, first of all, like all of them wear sunglasses, which I think is hilarious yeah, yeah. because it's you know they're trying to cover the their their uh, their 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 uh, eye bags and wrinkles and shit. You know, fine, whatever. It's it's a cool look. Okay. And then you could wear t-shirts and ripped jeans, and you could do whatever you want with the outfit. But the thing that always ruins it for me is the shoes. Which, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I get it. I get it. You get older and you got plantar fasciitis and bone spurs or whatever <laughs> I else. Had pla- I had plantar fasciitis when I was in my like early 40s. <laughs> <laughs> or wh- whatever. I mean, Pops wears those types of shoes, you know, so sometimes he'll come out with this perfectly good outfit on and then these just these big clunky like Frankenstein monster shoes. And I'm like, change those. Take those off. <laughs> yeah, you but won't be saying that when you need them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I... All right. I already, what do you call it? Um, full disclosure. I already have a pair of these like sketcher slip ons that like I saw yep. at my parents' house that pops has. And I was like, I put them on once to take the dog out. And I was like, wow, these are comfortable. So I found a pair for myself. Yeah. While you're walking I, the dog, you're on, you know, Zappos or whatever yeah. ordering. <laughs> yeah. I did go, I did buy them in a different color though, because wearing them to my parents' house, pops would 100% accuse me of stealing them from him if I bought the exact same ones. <laughs> Um, You'd be like, no, they're right he, there. No, you stole them. <laughs> Even though they're a different size. I'm like, like Pops' feet are huge. So it's like, <laughs> like Pops, they're not like a size like 13. Okay. Like I don't have freakishly large feet. Yeah. My dad has um, really huge feet to like that too. Why do why don't, why don't, what size, what what size shoe do you have? Feet? 10 and a half. Yeah. I'm like a 10. Like, Which I think is like 10, 10 and a half is like average size. Anything smaller or bigger, I think is like a little outside the norm. But, but anyways, when I see uh, rockers or I see people trying to portray an image, the the shoes are really what does it for me, like boots, uh, Converse sneakers. I always find it cool when when uh, like older guys like that, like, you know, 20, 30 years older than we are, are wearing cool shoes. I, I know that it's it's just one of those things that I notice. Yeah. Well, you and Glenn and Soren all all uh, <laughs> I'll notice. Mm-hmm. But um. Yeah, he was, uh, it, it, I mean, uh, seeing him in like the, the room that we were in was extremely well lit. It was bright and he wasn't wearing sunglasses. Well, he, he was wearing like slightly tinted glasses, but I mean, up close, like being right next to him in a brightly lit room. I'm like, man, this guy looks great. Like 72 years old. I mean, I yeah, believe too, with the life that he has lived. It's just unreal. Like he looks great. I mean, like I don't know. Good for him. And you know, like his hair and his face and, and it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't look like he's wearing any makeup. Has he had 
like if he's had any work done, it's been very good work. Like it doesn't show, you know. It's it's not like he's wearing these. He has these giant lips and this weird looking, you know, like the smooth Botox forehead and all that. Like yeah, he yeah. looks like he just looks like a young guy. Like good for him. Well, I, you know, I, mean, that's, I, I um, wish I could look that that good in five years. Never mind twenty or thirty. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's it, it is it is pretty awesome. I mean, even. Um, uh, some of these, some of these guys, I mean, honestly, even like meeting the, the guys from, uh, from deep purple, like when we met, um, um, Roger and Don Airy and yep. even, uh, Ian Pace a couple of years ago. I mean, yeah, I mean, they, th- th- these guys are looking their age, but I mean, like even Roger, who is, we've seen more than once, it's just like, just seeing pictures of him now and seeing pictures of him, like even 30 years ago, like his look hasn't changed that much. Like no. he, I think it's, you know, he takes care of himself and he's just generally like a, you know, a happy dude. So it's like, um, I, I think that has a lot to do with it is, is just, um, you know, your mindset and sometimes, you know, good genes <laughs> doesn't hurt. I'm sure. But well, I'm sure keeping active, you know, like a lot of yeah. you know people, his age that are retired, they're maybe just sitting on the couch or whatever, not doing much, but this guy's out and he's on tour buses. He's doing it. I mean, he also just, you know, keeps his weight. Like he's so thin and, you know, like not by any means, he looks just very healthy. You know, he doesn't, yeah. he's thin, but not like, Oh, like, like, you know, some of these old oh guy like Iggy Pop or whatever <laughs> look like a skeleton, uh, but he looks like yeah. just very, just like very healthy. So, so anyway, good for him. Um, mm. It was great hanging out with the patrons. Uh, amazing show. Maybe I'll just maybe I'll put in a little um, of the music as a background or something while we talk. But um, <clears throat> well, you'll you'll hear my report next week. Yeah, no, 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 next I episode. am going so, yeah. to see him later tonight. The funny thing is, yeah, tonight. The funny thing is we were going to do a different album today in our, in our next episode and i was like well why don't we should maybe we should do a glenn hughes album <laughs> so i, I yeah, changed it because i was like it didn't really make much sense to do this album un completely unrelated to glenn hughes and then on we'd have two reviews of glenn hughes so this make it more glenn hughes focused the uh the episodes um i feel like there's some stuff i'm i'm leaving out because it was just such a fun night um i had to work super early the next morning we all had long drives or and mike had to wake up early take a flight back so he flew there mm. for that and so <laughs> wow. um yeah but That's it was Pretty cool, yeah. Uh, yeah, really good time. Uh, Mike and, and Peter and Ryan could not have been uh, more fun to hang out with and just very generous and bought me lots of drinks. <laughs> and um, awesome. <clears throat> rough, rough next day at the work, uh, ne- next day at work, especially with the Super Bowl, but um, it was well, well worth the uh, worth it for the hang. Um, and my my good friend, your, your little friend here. Uh, <laughs> Came came with us and met Glenn again, my little my furry friend here, my little, little oh, beef eater. Don King. <laughs> Don King. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so um what are we here to discuss now? We are talking about oh, and upcoming shows. February uh, we didn't even talk about bad marriage and enough's enough. So that was like a lot. Maybe you know what? We could probably save it because we can compare notes when you go mm, next week. Yeah. Um yes. or, or tonight, or, I should say. Um so yeah, uh, there's one song, there's one bad marriage song in particular I would have loved to be next to like you and Gardo because there was like, I was like I would have loved to just see the Gardo's reaction. So I'm I'm interested right. to you'll know when it happens. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll just hear him go. 
Hills be flying in the yeah. background. And, and Enough's Enough does one of his favorite uh, Paul McCartney songs that he hates. Oh, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing his reaction to that. Oh. Uh, but yes, Vi Satriani, uh, April 18th, uh, making plans to go see that. That's the next show that I'm going to go see. So I uh, look forward to hopefully meeting up with some patrons there. Okay, uh, Glenn Hughes, here we are. From now on, the album from 1994. Um, John, have you ever heard this one? Um, I, I'm, I don't think so. I'm not too familiar with, um, you know, Hughes's, um, uh, solo albums, uh, post, um, blues. Post like, I remember blues, getting yeah. the, the blues solo album at the time, not knowing if it was his first solo album, if it was his 10th or whatever. I mean, first modern day at the time, cause I obviously knew about play me out. And then I think there was that one. And then everything after that, there was the, I think it was the, was it the Burning Japan yeah, live yeah. one? That that CD I had owned uh, because I picked it up at an import place, which doesn't really count as a like a new CD, but his like thing of like original material. Yep. Um, I I don't think that I've really listened to too much of that stuff, if at all. So, well, the Burning Japan live is from the tour for this album, so okay. it's got a lot of the same musicians. Mm-hmm. Um. And some of the songs you might recognize from that, that is just an incredible live album. I'm looking forward to doing that one one day. Uh, so he does do some of the songs on that. <clears throat> uh, but on this on this album, and you'll see a theme coming, we've got on bass, and I'm probably going to mispronounce all these names because I'm, I'm not as familiar with Europe as I should be. <laughs> um, on bass, he has uh, John Levin or Le... Levin? I will say Levin. Um, He's the bassist for Europe, and he's one of only two of the members of Europe, along with Joey Tempest, to perform on all of their albums. He also played with Glenn Live on Burning Japan Live. Um, On drums, we have Hempo Hilden, also uh, alias Hempo Hobo. Not not Hempo, not Hempo uh, Drifter. Drifter, Hempo Drifter. <laughs> That's his American name. His real name is Hemp is uh, Henrik Hilden. He played with. Uh, he also played with Don Dawkin, and uh, he was a percussionist uh, in uh, jazz group Splash. Sadly, passed away a couple years ago in 2022. Um, uh, the on guitar we have Eric Boyfeld. I'll say um, his most of his credits are with Glenn Hughes and then Thomas Larson on guitar who played with the band Baltimore and then on keyboards Mick McKaylee um, who was most famous as a member of Europe is a tons tons and tons of work as a studio guy um, and then obviously on vocals Glenn Hughes the interesting thing about this album is it's one of the few albums where Glenn does not play bass he only plays he only sings boo poser <laughs> <laughs> Well, hopefully, uh, uh, John Levin will uh, will mm. will make you feel better. Um, but yeah, boo! No, no, Glenn Hughes uh, playing bass on this one. <laughs> boo! Why is he such a poser? How come he doesn't play bass anymore? <laughs> well, it's extra funny too because he always kind of says in interviews that he feels awkward when he's not playing bass, and that was kind of one of his issues when he was in Black Sabbath. Mm. Um, so, anyway, uh, there you go. Um, so this one, let me see if I can get that. Here we go. Uh, uh, engineered by Anders Eliasson. Uh, he was a member of the band uh, Lambretta, and he also produced the Swedish band Small, Fat, and Beautiful, which I think I sent you and Jonathan a, a picture of <laughs> in the chat. I wanted yeah. to see if Jonathan knew anything about him because it was just a really funny... I don't think I have the picture mm. handy, but it was just a very funny uh, image. Um, 
So yeah, which I compared to the Heart Foundation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very bright pinks and blues and everything. Yeah. Um, it was mixed by uh, the producer uh, Bruce Gowdy um, and Dave Allard, who worked with Fl- Fleetwood Mac, Oingo Boingo. He worked on the Hughes Thrall album, Donna Summer, Gordon Lightfoot, Rod Stewart, a lot of uh, b- big names. Matt Gruber, who worked extensively with Desmond Child, was a was a mix assistant. And the engineer, uh, Bruce Gowdy, produced a bunch of uh, uh, albums, and he was in the band called World Trade. Um, and then, yeah, with uh, with that, it takes us right to the album art. John, what do you think of this album cover? Um, you know what? I I believe that I did own this album. <laughs> okay, it's changing. Yep. Uh, see, I told I you. I know this album very well. Yeah, actually, actually, I don't. I think it might have been the blues album and then this one. Um, I remember purchasing, but not... You know, the the train of thought back when you're younger is, oh, it's Glenn Hughes, and it didn't sound exactly like 1974 Deep Purple, so I'm just like, whatever, and yep, then I yep. just never listened to it again. But, um, you know, idiot. But uh, anyways... <laughs> um, I, I think it's a uh, I think it's a cool album cover looking at it now, even even then, because I thought that the the whole cowboy thing, the whole cowboy theme was pretty cool mm-hmm. um, uh, that he was doing here. I love the um, the fringe uh, brown jacket and the cowboy boots. Actually, if you uh, the the style from the waist down is what I typically do now anyways. So it's just like the the jeans and the cowboy boots when I go out. You are cowboy um, boots. Yeah, or I actually, they're not like. Yeah, well, they're they're very similar. They they're called Chelsea boots. They don't go all the way up, but they're very cowboy boot looking. Very comfortable, actually, too. All right. I had a pair of cowboy boots. I think in, I think I got got them in high school because I I wanted to have this kind of look, and they just proved to be very not comfortable. Yeah. Um, so I gave them up for a long time. But uh, for, for Hughes um, at the time, anyway, I think this is a pretty cool look. Uh, I think it's a cool album cover. Uh, looks like he's just sitting on this this office, this this uh, doctor's office chair out in the desert. Yeah. yeah. Um, he looks like uh, Morpheus should be sitting on the other side of him, like <laughs> that scene in The Matrix. <laughs> yeah, just kind of kind of uh, reflecting uh, there. I, I mean, um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's pretty... It's a pretty neat um, album cover. I like how he has a logo, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like his own logo. And uh, if you're really looking into it, a lot of the colors, uh, the color scheme kind of matches because you have the the red, white, and that kind of like that crimson red, not like a fire engine, white and blue. And the GH logo matches the chair. The jacket matches the shoes and mm-hmm. as well as the Glenn Hughes logo and then that kind of like pop of blue up there. So it's I, I always thought it was kind of a, a neat looking album cover. And um, like I said, it looks like he's sitting on uh, like the hill of a, a, a desert or a dune or something like that. So um, very, very kind of, a, I don't know, desert Western type of a vibe to it, but not. Like I didn't look at this and think like, oh, it's going to be country music, but it has, um, yeah, it is a very cool look to it. Yeah, it's funny. I, yeah, I, I, I'm associating that with being a dune back there too. It, it almost kind of looks like um, whoosh, like the whoosh album cover, because he's like, oh, yeah. you expect to see the spaceman like pop out behind him. Hey, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a cool album cover. And you know, the first, 
thing I always think of when I see this album cover is that remember mm. those TDK ads where the guy's in the chair and he's getting like blown back. Oh yeah, yeah. It kind of reminds me of that. But um, yeah, cool album. Looks like he swiped a few rings from David Coverdale. Maybe like, he's got like the like turquoise uh, rings on. Um, but yeah, and it's got that the the dune behind it, but it's very very washed out. It's got that washed yeah. out look to it. You know, the only thing that bothers me though, or it's always bothered me, is is like his his right leg, like his his foot is kind of tilted at a weird angle. Like I always like just like I wish that he had like turned like his ankle and his toe up a little more because it looks like kind of off center. That's like my OCD. Oh, I never noticed that. We get really getting into the fine details on this album cover. John would well, have called I mean, for, just, they would put this on John's desk. He would have like thrown it back at him. Get a reshoot. But but it's gonna cost us. I don't <laughs> care what it costs us. We can't send it out with this this shoe all crooked like that. It does. It's like it looks crooked. It looks like his ankle is kind of bent weird. But yeah. Like I said, that's my <laughs> That's my OCD it's criticism. That's definitely a little uh, over the top. But um, yeah, so this album cover was the layout was done by On Jerv and the photography by Mats Oskarsson. Uh, couldn't really find any credits by either of them. So I'm not sure where the, where uh, what their backgrounds were. But um, yeah, it's a pretty cool album cover. Then you get into the booklet here and you've got that kind of... Um, that kind of uh, theme going. It's it's it looks like more things from the same photo shoot, but but less stylized. So Glenn with his cowboy hat and his uh, fringe jacket, and it says, "I hope you'll enjoy listening to this album as much as I enjoyed writing, singing, and performing it." I thank God for giving me the gift to make music, Glenn. Um, and then there's another picture of him. I thought he was holding a gun at first there, but it's just this fringe of his jacket. It'd be great if he had a six shooter. <laughs> um, there he is doing like a little cross stand. It says little uh, Blackmore's Night. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. It does. Not Blackmore's <laughs> Night or uh, what do you what do you call it? Uh, yeah, the, Rainbow. The, um, Rainbow. Did he steal it Looks from like Glenn? Because that was the next year, right? So. Yeah. So, yeah. He's standing. So, uh, just yeah, like, that's almost looks exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> and it says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. The classic. Uh, Quote there, a little nice picture of Glenn's uh, close-up, and then uh, the back cover, he's kind of crouched down, holding the old cowboy hat. So, yeah, he definitely, uh, in the liner notes, takes, uh, you know, a religious kind of stance, and, you know, which, you know, now, I I know he wasn't... I think he may he had a few kind of bouts of getting clean and then having relapses, and he had his Mm -hmm. final kind of... uh, became sober for the last time in, in 97 and has continued that to the present day. So, um, I don't know if he was, you know, it's the only, this is the only real period where I, I see him specifically mentioning like religious things like that. Whereas now he's very spiritual, but he's not like, you know, specifically saying God and Jesus. He's more like now he's more like, uh, just kind of very spiritual. So I know, you know, that some people, you know, going through recovery kind of can um, certainly latch on to stuff like that to, to help them through the process. So um, that might have been what was going on here, but uh, looks, uh, you know, looks really great. This is, I think, the copy of the the, ja- the Japanese back. And I think we'll do the Japanese version because we're doing a two parter and the Japanese version has uh, two bonus tracks, which are remakes of Deep Purple songs. So why not just throw right. them in the mix? <clears throat> I know that the um, I know at least back then all of that um, 
uh, God and Jesus stuff and the the quotes about grant me the serenity and everything. Yeah. When, when when we were like 17, 18, I was a all right, whatever. I mean, I get it yeah. now, but back right. then it was just kind of, it almost made it seem like, uh, I don't know. You, like you didn't want to hear that from your rockers. You wanted to hear like, to be like nuts. Like he was at the California jam. You want to be like, Oh, my higher power. And I mean, I get where he's coming from, sure. but like when I was a kid, I didn't want to hear that. I wanted everybody to be like, I wanted him to be like, he was in 74, like all friggin' wild and everything. I mean, I didn't know what the story was. Right. Of course. Like, yeah. So I'm glad that he um, got clean and found peace like that long ago. Um, actually, but, um, but yeah, to me, it didn't seem very rock and roll, you know? Yeah. Well, it's the um, difference between being a 20 year old rocker and then a 40 year old kind of cleaning yourself up and doing all that. Yeah. So yeah, it's a different, for sure, sure a different, uh, attitude, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's the kind of rundown of that, that part of the album. And then we'll get right into the music after we thank our next level of patrons, which is of course our core level. So here we go. Coming in at the $7.77 Keep It Warm Rat tier, we have Michael Vader. Um, at the $6.99 new nice price tier, we have Spike the Rock Cat and Sugar Tea. At the episode $6.66 tier, we have Steve Coldwell and Arthur Smith. Anton Glaving and Charles Meadows at the $6.65 almost evil tier. We have Kenny Wymore and Richie Sucksmith at the $6 what's going on here tier. Richard Fusey at the $5.99 the nice price tier. Robert Smith and Carl Helberg and at the 60 kroner Scandinavian Knights tier. Newt Morton Johansson. At the $5 Moneylender tier, John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Alman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger, Slepikoff, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zern, Cynthia Doobie, Raf Kaff, and Coyote Bongwater. All right, thank you to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. I just realized something, and we kind of put this on in sometimes in different spots of the show, um, but before we actually do get into the album, as we've been teasing you poor listeners too for 40 minutes now um there's one thing that um i have been putting off that we didn't do last week and more has been added to that and that is postcards from the edge of connecticut um so a, a few little kind of weird makeup ones so these actually came in on the same day but one of them is one of them is dated january 1st and the other one's dated January 26th, but they came in the mail on the same day. So that's, I guess, what you get for those postcard stamps. Uh, they're both from, well, actually, let's see. I have to look at this. So one of them is, uh, let's go with the one on the first. Nate, a happy new year greeting for you from Virginia, from the Gardot. And it's got a little picture mm. of the MacArthur Memorial City Hall Ave and Bank Street, Norfolk, Virginia. Um... It shows you where everything is. It's like, here's where the gift shop is. It's like almost like a little map. Parking, 200 spaces, and it's got the hours on it. But this is an old one. You can tell it's kind of discolored. And then this one from the Casablanca Cafe, uh, and hmm. it says, Nate, now here is the last postcard from Florida for you, and we've already gotten the, the old ones. Um, so these both came like 
almost the end of January, the early uh, February. Um, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, an American piano bar and restaurant. Um, the Jova House. Built in 1927. So we're doing that. And then I was getting ready to get the kids to school this morning. And Jen reached into one of the bins and, to get a hat for them and pulled this out. <laughs> it's somehow fallen in the hat bin. <laughs> Season's greetings. It says it's dated Christmas. <laughs> oh. So they were finding them all over the house. These two actually came in late. So this one must have just got accidentally dumped in the bin and all the crazy um, uh, mm. Christmas lead up. But it's a, like a little jigsaw puzzle. Um, that it looks like Pete has taped so that it won't fall apart, or maybe it came that way so it won't fall apart. It's a little jigsaw puzzle of Christmas. And it says, Nate, mm. now here's a Christmas greeting for you, Peter. And it says, Season's Greeting Drum. The 1980 holiday season stamp issued was the first to bear the legend Season's Greetings based on an, an original painting executed for the stamp. Mm. So, so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a postcard of a stamp. All right, very cool. Wow, yeah, that just brings it full circle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now we're and here. We are doing getting Christmas cards in the. So anyway, just wanted to make sure we we uh, touched on that since the the postcards are backing up here on my desk and I mm. and I they keep getting covered up and I forget to go over them. So. All right, are we ready to get into some Glenn Hughes? Uh, I was ready an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, you were. We had some technical <laughs> difficulties before we started, but uh, uh, which is <laughs> we should be used to by now. Uh, but here we go. We are starting with the opening track here, picking up the pieces. It's a little roaring uh, organ to get started. This could, have, this could have been recorded the other day. <laughs> Listening to his voice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> this one was written by Glenn Hughes and Bruce Gowdy, the producer. That was kind of a cool little... I don't even know what that was, but cool little stop with that. Sounded almost like horns. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he's got some, some grit in his voice on this one. In a very good way. Yeah, well, definitely sounds like he's returning to, like, the rock roots. Yeah, very um, rock, of, uh, very soulful purple. on the chorus. You know, with the uh, the keyboard. Oh, that's what, yeah, that, bam. It's, it's like yeah, the but key- even the beginning, it, like, you got that kind of Hammond sound in the background. Yeah, Not that, that wow, but. Wow, that little, you know, snarl. Yeah. He could have named uh, Burning Japan Live Made With Europe. He's got so many Europe musicians on here. Uh-huh. Or he could name this album that. 
I wonder how he kind of made the connection with the guys from Europe. Solo. That kind of almost that progression almost sounded like Highway Star, you know that dun 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 like that. Hmm. Almost sounded like he put a little something from Burn in there when he holds that note. Oh yeah, yeah. Song's got a great energy. It's very busy, but not like not overly busy, but just very that all these little like kind of like background riffs going on. you're gonna do when the whip comes down oh nice little outro organ solo <laughs> i cut it off too early i think yeah i liked where that was going but all right picking up the pieces a lot of energy on that one john what do you think mm. i'll um i'll give that one a three all right. I thought it was um I thought it was pretty good. Um it sounded uh the um yeah, it was a good song. The production sounded very um very like mid high endy. Um even like the the guitars, you know, had that kind of like really mid-range sound. Uh not yeah. um not not a very full kind of sound. Like you know that I always tend toward the the really uh, warm analog full mm -hmm. sound, like a full bass, like a really fat guitar, that type of thing. And this just sounded very, um, I mean, it was well produced. It's very clean, very um, mm -hmm. kind of like, I would say it's like slick. I wouldn't say like 80s slick, but definitely like early 90s slick. Uh, but it sounded good. Um, I could see now why I probably wasn't too drawn to it back then. This is like, it's good, but it's not like not heavy it's not the type of the type of heavy that i'm drawn to but um that being said is, is that i mean uh, glenn sounds good as you know to be expected um you know guitar solo was kind of nondescript but um you know there were a couple of cool elements in there i definitely like that he 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 seems to always do the same thing is like he always trends toward his lane, you know, like yep. he would, he put in like the, the, the keyboards, the keyboard sound, like I said, which is reminiscent of stuff that he would do with, with his time in purple, which some people would be like, ah, I don't want to be associated with that. So it's, yeah, even, even what he's doing now, like the, the deep cuts and stuff like that. Like, I, I feel like Hughes has always been good in, in some degree of giving his fans what they want. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I'll give it a three point five. I think the I see what you're saying about the production. It, it sounds a little bit more late eighties, and you know probably just the, the background that the the producer had was probably from that that time period. But yeah, I, I didn't. Nothing about the bass stood out to me, but probably as a production, like I don't know, I couldn't tell you what the bass player was doing. Um, I'm sure he's a great bass player, but maybe on other songs it'll be a little bit more evident. But I really love the energy on the song. I think it's, uh, you know, it's it's a good one. I can't remember if he does. I can't remember which ones he does on Burning Japan Live, but I should probably pull that up while we're doing the next track. But um, yeah, it's uh, I I really like the energy. I kind of like the I like the the. Vocals, I like the lyrics, and yeah, obviously everything he's doing vocally is is kind of standard. Glenn Hughes just tearing it tearing it up vocally, um, but yeah, it, it sounds like the band he had together for this one was was really good, and you definitely hear that on Burning Japan Live, so which we'll cover one of these days. Yeah, okay. Which by most most accounts is um you know um, definitely an an album. I think a lot of people would be excited to hear because I know Rich really likes it. Oh um, yeah. It's, I know you've said, and I, I can't remember a couple of other people who say it's a really great live album. It was one of those ones I had, like, I don't want to say I listened to it accidentally, but it was like I had, like, some Glenn Hughes albums, mm -hmm. like, that I had ripped to iTunes or whatever, and it was one of those ones that just, like, it came up one day, and I was just like, what is this? And I was like, oh, I mean, it was Glenn, obviously, but, and then I, when I, then I was like, I just have to listen to this more carefully, and I listened to it a few times in the car, and I was just like, man, what a... Yeah. Live performance, just so strong. So, okay, next track up is a track called Lay My Body Down. And this is one he's done live a ton. Yeah, yeah this is, um, and he, yeah, we've, this, we've heard him do this. And he does this on Burning Japan Live. Very, uh, very bluesy based song. Sounds like it could have been on blues. Yep. It's got that great Hammond sound on this song. And you can sort of hear the bass, but it's very low and it's EQ'd in such a way where it kind of blends in a little. Yeah. I wonder what made him decide to not play bass on this one. His bass playing the other night was, of the three times I've seen him, the best. He was just, he was on fire that night. I know it's the tempo of the song, but it feels, feels kind of low energy. Maybe in comparison to the other versions we've heard. Because, you know, sometimes a tempo on an album will be slower than 
live versions. Yeah. Well, I think you want this one to be a little more slinky, a little more sexy. The bass is popping out now here. And it took like a weird neoclassical turn there for the solo. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool, though. I don't know if I really like the guitar tone, though, so far on the album. I think the playing's really good, but it is a little thin, and it's, um... No, it is. It sounds very thin, maybe very, like... I don't know, very, like... Bridge, middle, pickup type of, uh... Tone. Well, it's EQ'd in such a way that, like, during the solo, I feel like I was hearing the hi-hat at the same... With the same level of importance as the guitar, <laughs> which probably shouldn't happen during a guitar solo. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's also, like, personal preference, too, I think. Sure. For a for a guitar sound. Like you remember we were talking about the Dio episode, the uh, the Sweet Savage song that we heard, which was the basically he used that for the Dio riff. Yeah. And like that whole intro, I was just like, wow. Now that was they had produced that the way that it was on the Sweet Savage. Yeah, demo. you like the I Sweet Savage like version the, better. <laughs> yeah, which well, I mean, just the just the sound, you know, just the way that it was produced. But again, like I said, it goes down to, like, personal preference. Like, some people would probably be like, what are you, nuts? Like, the DO one is classic. That other thing is shit. <laughs> and I forgot to mention, but this one was written by Hughes and Larson. But it's kind of like a slinky sort of um, almost mistreated style. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> that keyboard sound, wow, right at the end there reminds me of that key. Remember the keyboard I had? That Elisis yeah. keyboard? Whoa. Yeah. Just did a little weird. It, I mean, it, I think like, it made that exact it do, patch. <laughs> it could do anything. It could make any noise. <laughs> E-Rock would, <coughs> would use it to like do his Yanni impression. <laughs> <laughs> Which which basically consisted of him just like hitting a chord and then just like holding his head back like And then this. he was like he put his hand out like this. Like <laughs> I got a video of that somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but that yeah, that's funny. It was funny because it had like that um like I said, that neoclassical interlude in the middle, which was like wow, kind of unexpected. And at the end it turned into like a full on prog, like Yeah. <laughs> Very well, it's like, whoa, where did that come from? But all right, lay my body down. What do you give this one? Um, I'm gonna have to give it a 2.5. Okay. Um, yeah, it was um, like I, I get what you're saying that it's it's supposed to be a slinky kind of slower type of blues song, but I, I think maybe the way it was presented or produced or even performed just um, didn't work as well for me. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard ranking the songs when you know 
like other versions of them. Like I, I think I have to give this one a th- a three because I I think there's other versions I'd give a four mm-hmm. or maybe even higher because I really do like this one. But yeah, there's something about the the production on this one where it's just like it's I mean it's good and I really like the song so that's what's kind of keeping me interested. Um, but yeah, maybe, probably not my favorite version of the song, but it's uh, but I I like I said I really like the song. So three from me. And uh, the next song is hopefully it's not going to be the only one on the album, but it's called The Only One. Um, Hopefully we have no ones on this album. I don't think we will. Uh, But here you go. The Only One, third track on the album. I swear he has this. He was using the same keyboard that I had. It's only a couple years after did. this. Oh wow! It sounds like the police. The bass is really oh, nice. Has a nice tone on this one. You can it cuts through better. It's reminding me of that. I'm the. Uh, can't think of it because the song's playing. I'm the king of wishful thinking. Not anymore, of course, but the beginning part. This reminds me of a Hugh, Hughes thrall. Yeah, this definitely has a... Definitely has like uh, big 80s vibes in it. Oh, yeah, huge. I mean, he is a Hughes is a good songwriter. I mean, he even like they had that song he submitted to Ghostbusters. So that's right. I mean, not everything was gold, but I mean, the man definitely is in touch with how to write a kind of like a catchy anthemic type chorus. I think if if he had been a little more, if he had been as prolific in the 80s as he was in the 90s, he would have been on every movie soundtrack ever. Yeah, I mean, if he had released this like six, seven years before this, like at the height of the 80s, this could have been a theme song to something. Like, why isn't he on the Karate Kid soundtrack? Like, he should be. If Hughes Thrall had stuck together or... Yeah, I mean, you just see, like, the montage of, like, you know, oh, yeah. bowing and doing the karate exercises of, of daniel son on the, on, the, on the little thing in the water and doing the kick. Wow. It's doing all this, like, Jeff Beck work on that, uh, with the whammy bar there. At the beginning, it almost sounded like a harmonica. Yeah, ripped it up. But I think it's it's almost the same tone as the other songs, even though it's a very different style song. Yeah. 
<laughs> now the bass is popping out. Yeah, I feel like there's enough enough space in this song where you can really hear the bass. Yeah. But I'm a little I'm probably atypical, but I always want a little more bass. No. There's no such thing as not enough bass. <laughs> I did the little I love you at the at the end. So he does that on the this time around, you know, when he's mm -hmm. at, the, at the concert. He's like, oh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The only one. John, what do you think about this one? This might be the only 3.5 that I give. <laughs> the only one. I hope not. Uh, me too. Um, but I do, um, I do, I did like it at first. I was kind of like, mm, when it started off, I'm, I'm like, oh, is this going to be some kind of vanilla average, whatever, just kind of pop song sounding type of thing. But then when it when it kind of revved up, when it got into the, uh, into the bridge and the chorus, it, then it grabbed me. And like I said, um, I, I think, or like you said, rather, if, if he was, doing output like this like five ten years earlier um then he i feel like maybe would have gotten more traction or even you know some hits because you know the 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 chorus they you're the only one yep it's very very catchy very catchy um yeah just a very like you to pop your head along to it and stuff so um i liked it um like i said it took maybe a minute for me to get going, but, um, this is, this was definitely a good one. Um, I, I like, uh, so not all the pop stuff, but when he, when he nails it, like this was a very, like, I feel like you could have found this on the Hughes Thrall album easily. Yep. As well. So yeah, five, 10 years earlier and this would have fit in uh great. Yeah. I give it a 3.5 as well. I think it's a really good song shows, shows his, uh, songwriting. Um, yeah, and, and production-wise, I think it worked really well, too. I think the, the production maybe that is on this album was better suited to this kind of style of song, but from what we've heard so far. But yeah, really, really good track. I like that one. All right. Next track up is a song called Why Don't You Stay? This one was written by Hughes. And Richard Baker, who was the former keyboardist in Santana's band. Well, I thought you were going to say Richard Marks. <laughs> that would be great. I've been dying 
Whoa, he did like a different voice there. I almost thought it was somebody else. Yeah, the picture of you. <laughs> <laughs> he was doing a good Coverdale impression the other night on Sail Away. Yeah? Like, he, yeah, he was, I was like, wow. <laughs> and then he did his Hughes impression for his parts. <laughs> his Hughes impression. So this Richard Baker also played with uh, Lynch Mob, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and Bruce Dickinson. This is like the, all right, we're going to slow it down now for yeah. all the couples on the dance floor. You're just exactly. swaying some, back and forth. Some awkward shimmying and waist holding. <laughs> it's almost got like a kind of like a gospel feel to it, this song. Good call. a really good song that just like is missing something with like the production like that end part where like the organ like I feel like the organ could have swelled more I feel like the you know there's so much drama in this song and and it's kind of like the more of the same with the guitar tone and then like Glenn's mm. vocals it's like with that delay is just is that really what you want in this kind of song like his vo his vocals are incredible, but like you have this like slap back delay and then like also feel like some of these songs may have been better executed in the hands of another artist. You, you know what I mean? Like, if this wasn't Glenn Hughes doing this and this was a more popular artist, would this song have gotten more attention? Because sometimes I can suffer from that. Is, is a, I mean, Hughes is a niche artist. Yeah. I mean, if this was like, I don't know, Elton John singing this, would this have been a huge hit? Or like... Because uh, it's not a bad song. It's just... Or like Boys to Men. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm not. I'm not even joking. You know, with like some four-part har harmonies, I could see them tearing this apart. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got. I get where you're coming from because you kind of made reference to that uh, gospel type thing, which lends itself to R and B groups. So I could, I could see that. It's uh, yeah. I don't know if it's exactly. What I'm hearing now is, is like everything that I want from a Glenn Hughes album. Um, I mean, I like the fact that he has explored different styles over the years, so it's definitely kept things interesting. But 
Yeah, I think it's just one that I could have seen. Like, like it's a great song, good arrangement, but it's it was almost just I, like I said. I just feel like it was expecting it to go somewhere that it didn't go. Um, but anyway, John, what do you give this one? Um, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna have to give it a two point five. All right. Um, I like it. It's hard for me to. To judge here, I guess I, I'm just gonna have to judge based on the album. Uh, I think the the song was good, but Hughes doing the song was maybe like I've been saying before, not really one of what I hear from him. But it was it's it's a good song, and I mean he does it well, and like I get where he's going, but I also feel like by this time we're a few years into the '90s, and a lot of this sounds very kind of 80s ish yeah well yeah you gotta think of 94 i mean we're well into years into the grunge era and all that so it's and like you know there are bands uh that were trying to emulate that sort of thing for popularity um some of them uh might be bands that some of us liked a lot that went down the grunge route or Mm. or tried to yeah, I mean, Hughes but, could have easily done that. He could have uh, Hughes could have done the yarl pretty well. He was a <laughs> I think his his voice is too high for that though. But um I think Hugh I'm glad he didn't do that. Oh no, yeah, me too. With either his look, you know, cuz he look he's got the cowboy hat and the fringe <laughs> jacket. I mean, it looks like more like a country artist than than even a rock artist, but you know, everyone else was you know, if if he was wearing like plaid flannel shirt tied around his waist and all that and trying to do a a grunge album but well i don't know i mean i think it's like through all those years of like exploration it's kind of like um i mean at their core even the bands that did that kind of grungy or more let's just say stripped down sound from that era it's like when when um the thing that i like about bands now like um like uh like we're, we're seeing now is like hughes um, even enough's enough, right? They know what their brand is, mm-hmm. right? Like you see Chip walking around with the big, he just leans into it, the big round glasses and the hat and everything. This the whole sixties vibe. And, By the way, and I didn't Hughes, realize how tall he was. Holy crap. Yeah. He's a big dude. <laughs> I've never seen him in uh, person. <laughs> like, wow. He's gotta be like six, two, six, three. He's yeah. Huge. Or, or even just like in, embracing the style or just like, this is my shtick. Like Hughes with the, um, when he, when he has the, the background of the, the old picture of him with like the kind of the, yeah, yep. the, uh, the, the tie dye thing and him wearing the, the bell bottoms and the converse and the peace and love type of thing, like him almost going for the sixties thing. It's like, I, I, I think it's in this era and around here, he was just kind of scrounging around almost. Whereas his like, you know, and it, like now some of these bands from that era are just like, OK, we know what our our look and our brand and everything yeah. is supposed to be. And they just kind of stick with that. And um, well, know, I think, I think if, these first few albums back, he was trying to find that and trying to find his way. And this is, you know, this is only right. the second album really back since it's only his third solo album. And he had what between 77 and what was a 92 that he didn't have any solo albums. So, right. um, you know, he did you know, the one-off albums here and there. And he did, he did a lot of guest spots, but you know, coming yeah. back from that and still battling with his addictions and everything, just trying to find everything. And I, you know, I took a 
took a few. I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly where the album is, where it kind of started to click. It might be like, you know, um, Addiction or one of those albums, but where it, where it started to click a little bit more. But um, well, I think that's maybe why I I never clung on to them is is because whenever a new Hughes album was released, I, I was kind of like, I really don't know what I'm supposed to expect here. Am I am I getting pop Hughes or gospel Hughes or is he going to be hard rocking or what's like what's he going to do? Yeah. And yeah. so that just kind of, I think, um, deterred me a little bit or. Um, made me not as interested. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'll give it a 2.5 as well. Um, I really do like the song. Um, and it would be interesting to hear. I would love to hear a cover of it. I'd love to hear him do it with like a slightly different, not arrangement, but production um, on it. Cause I think it had a really, there's a lot of um, dramatic moments and emotional moments in the song that I think could have popped a little bit better, but Okay, next track up is called Walking on the Water. Ooh. Very sounds like buzzy sound. Sounds like a Hendrix. <laughs> Not where you'd expect that to go after the intro. <laughs> nope. I love this groove so far. Oh, it's kind of throwing you off with the beat a little bit. It's this reminds me of like a Lenny Kravitz song. Yeah, you're very um, think intuitive and in picking out some of those little things in this. Yeah, it does. Like I could see Kravitz doing something like this around this time too. Like it sounds like from something like the Circus album. I know. I don't know if it's a ridiculous question or not, but has has he and Lenny Kravitz ever collaborated on anything? Because I feel like now that you mention that, that would be a natural. I don't think they have, but oh, that was cool. But yeah, I would. I would obviously be down for that because. I mean, I know we had like, you know, the Hughes Turner project, but I mean, the uh, the, the Hughes Kravitz project would be. Uh, Is that too much, though? Like, <laughs> it's like too much, too uh, much soul for too us much to handle. soul and charisma in one <laughs> in one group. But yeah, hearing like Glenn's bass backing up Kravitz's like funky guitar and then like their voices together would be really cool. Yeah, that, that would be very cool. Hey, if anybody's listening that wants to put that together. Yeah, come and put it together. Kravitz could wear his, they could both be wearing those giant Lenny Kravitz scarves. <laughs> Have you seen him with that scarf? Yeah. <laughs> it's the most incredible picture that's ever happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, scarf. the fact that it's real just still blows my mind. <laughs> He's wearing a scarf that looks like he took like a king-size duvet and just wrapped it around his neck. <laughs> he probably did. Could have. I like those like real those gang vocals like with a crazy reverb on them in the background, but it kind of works. And this one was written by Hughes and Gowdy as well, just like the uh, opening track. Okay. Want some little panning on the vocals there? 
And you get kind of that like really distant, funky guitar in the background. That's kind of cool. Mm hmm. And I don't know if you're getting it through the Zoom call, but there's a lot of crazy panning going on left to right in this. No, whenever you get panning or stuff in different channels, it doesn't translate for me in this in this uh, program. I'm going to try to set it up on the new computer so it does. I feel like that background vocal shouldn't work, but it does. Like it, I really like it's it. It's a little different for for Uzi, and for a song of this nature. But it's like if you do the math on it, it shouldn't work out, but it it does. Walking on the water. All right, John, what do you think about that one? Definitely, uh, definitely a very Jesus-y type of uh, sure. title. <laughs> one of the most famous walking on water guys that there, there has been. Yeah, I can't think of too many others. <laughs> not, he doesn't have a lot of competition. <laughs> kind of has the market cornered on walking on the water. Mm. Um, uh, I'm going to have to give this one a 2.5. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, I um, I I just I wasn't into it. I I feel like I'm getting too much mid to slower tempo, Glenn Hughes here. It's not really, it's not really in my wheelhouse. Like I acknowledge that these are good songs and he's putting in good performances and that he is definitely he knows how to get a hook going and um, I I like the 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 little time change that he threw in was kind of weird and then as soon as you said Lenny Kravitz I was like okay I could see that but the thing is is that we're talking about we're throwing other artists out there about like wow wouldn't this song be much basically I'm hearing wouldn't this song be much better if this person was doing it instead of Glenn Hughes not that it sucks like he's doing it bad I'm just it's very not not interesting to me okay so and I. This is my favorite one so far. I give it a four. I liked mm. it. I mean, I can, I can see that just because of the groove. And yeah. It's got a lot of stuff in it that I know you like. I didn't really, I wasn't about the background vocals. When I heard that, I'm like, hmm. Yeah. And that's what I would, that's what I was saying. I would kind of expect to have that reaction, but you know, cause it sounded like the background vocals from like a, a twisted sister song or something like, you know, it would be like those gang, the, rah, 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 you know, with all the, big, yeah. <laughs> with the reverb on it. But I was like, somehow it works in this like weird sort of slinky song, yeah. you know, Kravitz always has one song on every album. That's kind of like this where he's like, you mm -hmm. know, uh, talking about, you know, where he's, you know, he's got that song free. He's got, um, uh, what's the one where he's, you know, he's he's got some song that's like you know really angsty. <laughs> that's yeah. like in this kind of a song. I can't think of any of the other ones at the moment, but and this just kind of reminded me of that. But and those usually aren't my favorite songs on the Kravitz albums, but but mm -hmm. I like the way that he did it here. So, 
But that's just me. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, next track up is called The Liar. wonder who this is about. Oh, and I forgot to mention, this is co-written by either Jean Beauvoir or Jean Beauvoir, depending on oh, how Oh, Jean Beauvoir, yeah. yeah. You, you he know? Was, um, yeah, he was, um, he was in the... He was a member of the Plasmatics, and he also uh, wrote and recorded a few songs with Kiss back yeah. in the 80s. Such as Thrills in the Night. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, I met him a couple of times at Kiss Expos, and he's a hell of a nice guy. Oh, nice. Actually, I have a, a group photo where he, he, like, I'm crouching down, and he's crouched down next to me with his arm around me. Oh, nice. You have to dig that up. I'm glad he pronounces it Jean Beauvoir. Yeah, for yeah, I mean, for a while I didn't know like a proper who that dude was. Yeah, it's like who's who's Jean Bouvier? <laughs> Is he just like a <laughs> relative of Marge Simpson? <laughs> I mean, you can't hear that without hearing the thinking of the Led Zeppelin. Ah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> now I can't. I mean, it's just you, you can't. Yep. I mean, it's not the same. He's putting his own spin on whatever that is, but. I bet uh, Husey could really blast out Immigrant Song with no problems. Better than Plant could these days. He did that intro to Highway Star again the other night. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> oh, yeah, geez. Ooh, it's like a really bassy uh, sound on the guitar. Ha! <laughs> ha! And snow. <laughs> I like I like your uh, your impression. <laughs> Hammer of the gods. I feel like that was that. I think it's just got that that production of the era where it just doesn't. It's not like those drums. Like I feel like that should have been punchier. You know. That there's so much energy in the performances that just isn't doesn't sound like it's translating. Ooh, that was a nice little bass run. All right, we're getting some cool bass here. Ooh, a little a little guitar, um, a little guitar back and forth here between the channels. <laughs> There's John. <laughs> oh, so this was a, this was more recent than I thought. Yeah, 2019. Oh, okay. So there's me. There's me and him, like down at the bottom there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I 
Oh, listen to that. That's uh, something. I feel like he, he was just trying a couple of new things on this album, you know? Like stuff you don't typically hear from him. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I'm going to have to find a way to put this uh, picture of you, and I'm going to just zoom in on you and Jean Beauvoir. <laughs> Like I said, is like hell of a hell of a nice guy. Like, like you know, as evidenced by that picture, he's just wandering around the hotel, like meeting people. And that was after a uh, that was after like a midnight show um, in one of the uh, one of the ballrooms by a, a band, like a band that they were. Um, I don't know if they were bringing them on the the Kiss cruise or if they were just at the cruise fest because that's what it was mm-hmm. um, at that place. But I mean, even. The expo, like uh, when they were having, you know, they had some vendors and stuff upstairs, the bar. He's just he's just walking around. And I mean, he had to have been the coolest looking guy there, too. Like, (laughs) oh, yeah. Friggin like over over six foot tall black guy with a mohawk. The big blonde mohawk. (laughs) Yeah. big. You're not going to miss that anywhere. Nope. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's very cool to even even if people aren't like, quote unquote, famous, there are these people that you grew up with or you grew up like hearing about or whatever and they're just kind of sauntering around and <laughs> just talking to people you could just talk go up and just chat with them so it was like a very very cool experience that's awesome and if you ever interviews with him too he's um he's just as nice of a guy just always laughing and cracking up and telling stories and so but um that being said um since he was uh would you say he was a co-writer on this song right yep so, man, I'm going to, I have to give it another 2.5. Really? Okay. Just, yeah, just middle of the road. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I appreciate some of the different stuff that he was doing, uh, especially in the last two songs with the background vocals, uh, Hughes. Um, and um, yeah, even the guitar solo, kind of cool. Um, but overall just didn't, didn't grab me the way that, um, that I wanted. All right. Um, I can put a 3.5. I liked it. 3.5. I don't know. I liked it. Kind of weird sort of almost discordant. Just very like, (laughs) you know, not what you'd um, really expect, but it was it was kind of cool. I like I liked it. Um, all right, so now I think we get the last song we'll do this week um, before our next uh, part two of this album. Um, to spare you all a three and a half hour episode after we get into the and of course we've talked about it a million times. This is the CD age. This has fourteen tracks on it in the Japanese version, so. Um, it's a lot of tracks, um, but here we go with the final track for this week, track number seven on the album, Into the Void. It's not a cover of the Black Sabbath song, I don't believe. 
Oh. Whoa. Nope. I swear to God, he's using the same keyboard I had. <laughs> it's taking me back. Oh, wow. They're kind of like synth strings. Uh-oh. When you're standing on the ledge, there's no time to think it over. Get into the void. Is this the last time that you will question my faith? This is the season of the crimson Almost sounds like a, like a sequenced synth thing going on in the background. The narration made it sound like it was like some sort of like sci-fi sort of song. <laughs> the huge sci-fi theme. Space. This is like hmm, going into a very different territory. It's almost like a um, like a musical theater kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. That was the John Yav. I agree with you, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean. Like what that synth is doing in the background. Yeah, no, it it definitely does have like a foreboding type of thing that Hughes doesn't usually do. Makes it just makes me think like he like. I could just see like this on Broadway and like Hughes is dressed up like a cyborg or something. It's like the sci-fi <laughs> Broadway show. Uh, he was dressed up as a cyborg. He looks like kind of like Eddie on the cover, of, like the first Iron Maiden album or like the like the that robot guy from Dehumanize or just like one of those kind of like post-apocalyptic <laughs> futures. <laughs> Yeah, this is like post-apocalyptic Glenn Hughes. <laughs> so maybe it was Glenn that was in the space suit on the cover of Whoosh. Maybe it wasn't Rod Evans. I don't know.
I wonder if this, there's going to be some... I tried to find reviews of this album, but did not have a lot of luck. No. No. I might have to look. I do like that synth thing that's happening in the background. I do. I like that a lot. I mean, it, I mean, it does go with what this song is. I forgot to check the um, <clears throat> Darker Than Blue. I'll look to that for next week for reviews. I can only imagine what Simon Robinson thought of this album. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, it's almost like that, that like, woo. Like 50 sci-fi, like it's not done on a theremin, but it sounds like it should be. Great place to uh, break it for part two here. Mm. <laughs> Unexpected place. Yeah, very. But that one, I bet I, I know I've had this album on in the background before. But like I, whenever I have music on and and I'm not in this format or doing other things, I it's not that I tune it out, but I just don't hear it in the same way. So um, this one <laughs> does not sound familiar to me. But into the void, John. What do you think about this one? Hmm. You know, I'll I'll give it a three point five. All right. Um, points for points for originality for Hughes. I'll say that. Um, and I mean, it did have this dark undertone to it, but it it worked. Um, I can I can already predict my overall kind of thought for the album, which we could get to next week. Is is just like it's very feels very disjointed in terms of like a theme. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, this song was, um, uh, I, I guess I like how he's taken some, some chances now and, uh, some stuff is working. Some stuff isn't, um, you know, very, very keyboard heavy on this one, but I mean, he sounds, he sounds good throughout the whole album and everything that he's doing and, kind of goes with it. I know there's some things where we're just like, oh no, he's not, his voice is not suited to this. Like he's a great vocalist, but it's not suited to this. But um, this one, oddly enough, it was pretty, pretty good. But I mean, I think that that goes along with his um, being able to sing like hard rock and metal stuff really well. Yeah. Um, which kind of that approach is this, like if you threw in some like really heavy guitars or if somebody did a heavier version of this, this could easily be like a, epic metal song oh yeah for sure i'll give this one a 2.5 did not resonate with me quite the <laughs> same way 
We're, we're both Boy, all over the, the place. This is the first time in a while that you, your, our ratings are just like yeah, they're, all over the place from each other. They're not <laughs> as close as they usually like. It's been a while since we felt so differently about an album. Yeah, yeah. And it's, we. I think overall we'll probably feel the same way about the album. I think just the individual songs are kind of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because next week's series of songs is going to be much different. In that we are going to have a cup, a couple of songs that are basically songs that. Well, he does two Deep Purple songs, redoes them. He does one of his probably, from my opinion, one of his more classic solo songs. Two Hughes Thrall songs that were left on the cutting room floor that he redoes. And then a Trapeze song that he redoes. So the next week is like. Deep Purple, Hughes Thrall, Trapeze, and a couple of Hughes Originals. Um, yeah, so it almost so it it's going to makes this album like what's yeah. So it's going to be like very, very, very different than what we heard just now. So I could see our ratings being a little different and all that. So um, yeah, it's it's it's, but it does kind of combine with it being a little disjointed. And I think this, as we've talked about ad nauseum, this is the era of you got to fill a CD. So. <laughs> You get longer songs and more longer songs, and that's why you end up with a on, on the final Japanese version of. Well, actually, I think the Japanese version might have had thirteen tracks, and then there was a U.S. one that had fourteen. But at any rate, yeah, the two Deep Purple tracks are almost bonus tracks. But I figured, why not just do them all together since we're splitting this up into two? So, so yeah, I think it's gonna be a very different episode next time. Mm. But um, but yeah, overall, I think from a historical standpoint, it's very interesting seeing him coming out of, you know, doing his second album with a totally different lineup, very different style than the last one, a little bit more of a core group of musicians. And um, I'm not as familiar with Europe as well. I'm not familiar with Europe at all, I should say. Yeah. Um, the continent, I know fairly well. The um, group, not at all. So um, well, it'd be interesting I, to see I how it ties in with that. Look, learned a little bit about them. There's another podcast I listened to, which uh, recently reviewed um, their final countdown album, which was oh, cool. not their, not their first album. So it was, um, was actually that album was, yeah, it was very different. Like in the beginning, they actually, um, and I, I haven't listened to too much of the, the stuff, but I guess prior to that, they were doing music that, um, and I, I want to check it out. Uh, because it was very much in the vein of their influences, Deep Purple, White Snake, Rainbow, like yep. that was their kind of shtick, like they were in that mold. So I was like, oh, maybe early Europe would be a thing. Um, but they were very much um, um, kind of um, not manufactured, but um, they were, they, you know, they were kind of getting primed for more uh, to try and be more popular by that third album. So it was kind of a more atypical overall for their sound and everything. But um, I, I guess it makes sense how Hughes might have hooked up with the bass player because, um, you know, you th I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that he was probably one of their influences if their music was very deep purple, white snake-ish. Sure. Um, in the beginning. So, um, but yeah, that's that's the extent to I know about him. It's well, much more than I know. Mm. Um but maybe between the two, the these two episodes, I'll listen to a little Europe and I'll bone up on Europe. That sounds dirty. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Okay, so before we wrap it up for this week, we have to do something very special, and that is, of course, you guessed it, to thank our final group of patrons, our foundation-level patrons, coming in at the $3.50 Deep Purple New York tier, we have Lord Longford. At the three-pound aromatic feed tier, Simon Ford and Richard Brees. At the $3.33 halfway to evil tier, Stephen Sharp and Duncan Leesk. At the $3 nobody's perfect tier, we have Peter Gardot. Ian DeRosier. Mark Roback. Stuart McCord. Then we have Ivan Fjeldboo, Brunar Simonson, JJ Stenard, Ruinous Inadequacies, John Maselli. Hey, 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 there's singing going on here about America. (laughs) Michael Boyette, Corey (laughs) Morissette, Ashley, Still I Hear Burn. At the $1.71 I Want My Own Tear tier, we have none other than... And at the 10 kroner uh, tier, Karsten Lau. And finally, at the $1 made up name tier, we have. Um, <laughs> oh no, I forgot. Uh, we have the in, uh, Into the Void, Leaky Mausoleum, Steven Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic, Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel, <coughs> Blackmore Tights. Steve Down to Earth Kohler, Zwapper the Electric Alchemist, Anders Engstrom, ICDC, Durple Purple, and Purple Swede. Swede. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. And uh, if this is your first episode, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You know, sometimes I just go through, I go through the uh, jingles in a very, uh, I don't know, procedural way. And sometimes it just kind of, uh, the ridiculousness of it all just strikes mm. me all at once. <laughs> um, okay, well, there you go, folks. That is the first half of Glenn Hughes' 1994 album from now on. We'll be back at you next week with the second half and a recap of John's uh time at the Deep Purple Show, Deep Pur- the Glenn Hughes Show. Hey, the Glenn the Hughes Show, yeah. So. So yeah, we'll have a blast at the show, my friend. Well, right. tonight. Thank you. Um, Thank can't you. believe in, in just a few hours, and I'll talk to you later. Okay. All right. Bye bye. So. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Hmm. 
I gotta go to work now. Bleh. Oh, you bleh. Bleh. <laughs> have to go to work. Bleh. <laughs> I'd rather be going to New Hampshire. Welcome to the desert of the real. 